junior candidates, when asked the question of what are your comp expectations, they are taking advantage of that in a way and asking for big jumps in comp, sometimes up to sort of like 80, 90%. So they'd be asking for a base salary up to 90, 80, 90% of their highest ever W-2 earnings, right? And getting it. And what ends up happening is that the hiring manager ends up with a rep who has done a good job in negotiating for themselves, maybe has set themselves up somewhat for failure because they're now on a higher base number, higher quota expectations. They may not have ever achieved quota like that, and they may fail within six months. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Fergal Kenny. And Fergal's the president of Glenborn Corporation. It's a recruiting firm based in New York City that focuses on recruiting top sales talent, primarily in the SaaS world. He's also the founder of a new service called Verified Performers, which is what we're going to talk about today, because this is a service that definitely has the potential to disrupt the landscape of recruiting sales talent. So Fergal and I dig into what Verified Performers is, and he shares why he believes this is the right time for the service. And I agree, it's a great place to start. The way it works is that candidates have to agree to submit a form to the IRS requesting that they provide tax returns to verified performer, and verified performer, the organization, provides this verification of income to prospective employers. Now, in many states, as an employer, you can't ask about uh, income at previous jobs. But if you're a seller, you do have a choice now to be completely transparent about what you've done in the past and provide that information, and you can do it all securely. Of course, yeah, it's not entirely clear that W-2 data all by itself without context tells you everything you need to know as a hiring manager. So Fergal and I dig into how to evaluate and use this information within the context of your hiring process. Now, to me, this is an important first step to injecting really needed, necessary transparency into the hiring process. So Fergal and I also dig into other things, other attributes, other bits of data that hiring managers need to verify on a candidate's resume, or perhaps what they've said in an interview, and we're going to talk about what those might be and when we might see some of those. So lots of great takeaways today. Stick around for these and much, much more. But before we get to Fergal, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also leave us a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Fergal, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about Verified Performers. Sure. Verified Performers is a platform that allows salespeople to verify their performance independently and effectively badge themselves on LinkedIn and on their resume as someone who has had their earnings verified by a third party. And so... (laughs) All right, that obviously surfaces lots of questions. Is well, Let's just sort of start at the beginning. So what was the impetus to start the company? Sure. So uh, I've been in sales for 20-plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last 11 of that, I've uh, been running my own sales-oriented recruiting firm focused on, uh, focused on SaaS technology companies, right. typically venture-backed. Uh, so I exclusively represent the sales chain of command from senior individual contributors up to VPs. Mm-hmm. And... I've always wanted to find more objective ways to evaluate talent. Um, like any hiring manager, uh, I'm constantly trying to find my clients the, 
the best talent possible, but also um, to protect the downside, to make sure that right. we don't uh, you know, get them to do, uh, make mistakes and, and, and do mishires. Right. So that's the, the impetus, uh, is the sort of uh, the drive to find a sort of more objective measure of sales performance. Um, you know, you can, uh, the environment has, has changed a little bit. I mean, this isn't a, this isn't a novel concept, right? There's uh, been the, uh, there was a book written by Brad Smart a couple, uh, 10 plus years ago called Top Grading for Sales, right. which was about using, um, you know, W2 performance data to evaluate salespeople's performance. That was just one metric that they used, right? Uh, but it was the key one that everyone remembered. Um, but that's, become a little bit more challenged in the last two to three years because we have a bunch of states, you know, over approximately 20 states and 20 local jurisdictions have pushed back and um, given you sort of like restrictions around what you can and can't ask when you when it comes to comp history. Right. So typically these days, the politically correct question is what are your comp expectations as opposed to what, you know, what did you earn or what are you currently earning? Right. So, this is this is a way around that that t- that allows people who are confident in their numbers and their abilities um, to proactively um, get their get their earnings verified and um, basically imply that they're ready to show it to anyone who may interview them. Got it. So, so tell me, Fergal, why why W twos? Why why verifying income? I understand. Yeah, Brad Smart had written about this in Top Grading. I'm not entirely sure that I agree with this premise that 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 tells us maybe as much as he thinks it does about somebody. I'm just wondering. Yeah, well, as our our sort of answer to that is that this is the only sort of truly independently verifiable number. Um, obviously, this is not the only metric, and. We're not suggesting that this is the only metric that you should ask. It's really important to drill down on people's quota, their achievement, their deal size, you know, how they got to their how, to, how they got to their numbers. Um, but it's hard to ask people to produce a commission report that is it's certainly not standardized, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this process involves a verification with the IRS, so we get a transcript of the W two. Um, from the IRS, from every firm that you worked with for the year that you give us. Right? Well, so, so tell us, um, tell us how that works, so people understand the mechanics. So, um, yeah. so uh, let's even start more global. So, for verified performers, is this something that uh, sellers become a member of? You know, they're paying a fee for you to serve. Oh, yeah, I don't know. explain the structure for me. Sure. So the the idea here is that you will pay a fee, an annual fee. We're going to start it out at $50 a year. As, as an individual contributor. As an individual contributor right. for the ability to effectively be a member and get verified by us. Right? Um, you basically sign up for the platform. Um, as part of uh, the process and the workflow that we've built, you fill out an IRS form. This is much, this is much like what, it, what you have to do in going for a mortgage application or applying for a mortgage. Um, you are your income in that case is independently verified by the IRS. They have a program called the IVES program, the in, 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 um, Income Verification Express Service. We explicitly just look for W two transcripts. Mm-hmm. You choose up to four of the last eight years 
So we're giving candidates a bit of flexibility. They can choose one year, they can choose four years, right, of okay. the last eight. We want to keep it somewhat recent. The better quality information is going to come from candidates who give us more recent Correct. Uh, W2 right. years to look at. Um, more volume, so four is better than one, right? And preferably two firms so that they can show that they've performed um, across in different environments, maybe like with different management. So um, because obviously, you know, when people are in one company for a long period of time, you know, they can game the system, they can get closer with their managers, mm -hmm. they can get better accounts, right? Right. Um, so they basically um, fill out this form. Um, they sign it. It's an IRS form. It goes off to the IRS. Five days later, it comes back to us. We uh, we just take the information that we need, which is the W to the high level W two numbers. Then the candidate basically will provide us their OTE mm -hmm. um, to compare against the W two. So that's candidate provided. So the the only verified number we are verifying is the W two number, not the OTE. Right. But we believe there's natural checks and balances that come into play um, by getting a candidate to provide their OTE, even if it's not verified, right? Because it ultimately, with most comp structures, especially with salespeople, typically over 100K base, they're making, it's a 50-50 split between base and commission. So if someone tried to game the system, let's say, you know, by... Uh, by deflating their OTE, so their uh, performance from a W2 perspective looked higher, they're also potentially compromising their base uh, negotiation position. Correct. So you look at this information and what do you provide to the hiring manager? So we provide a, uh, a range that they, uh, that they perform from a W2 perspective, right? Um, and we provide a rating based on the range. Now, we may, we may add some more details, right, at, at a later stage, and we've been toying around with whether to show absolute numbers or ranges, but we also want this to be somewhat candidate-friendly, and the feedback we've got so far is that candidates prefer a little bit of a range because they are also potentially negotiating for yeah. themselves as well. Um, so ultimately, we'll probably provide them a choice of absolute W two numbers um, or a range of of numbers. Okay, so so the whatever certification or verification certification that you're giving to uh, uh, would you give to the seller? Or you give to the the hiring company. You give to the seller, and they mm -hmm. can they can say they present it and say this is this has been verified by you. Exactly, or right. they can ask us to send it to the hiring manager. Got it. Okay, and. And in, so just to finish off the process, um, they provide us these details. We produce the report. You know, um, we email it to the um, to the candidate. They can do what they want with it. We keep it on file so that in the event that they request us to um, to send it to an employer, um, we can do it on their behalf. So it comes from us, not from them. Um, and also we give them the ability to sort of like, as I said, badge themselves. So, you know, the logo, et cetera, that they can put on their resume and mm -hmm. the ability to join a group on LinkedIn so that they are searchable as a verified performer if a recruiter or hiring manager wants to add that filter to their search terminology. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Um, and that's the difference. Like these days, obviously, you can't ask people to produce the W-2, but they can volunteer it. Um, 
So this reduces the, you know, it was awkward to begin with people asking for W-2s in the past. Um, exactly. Even people who were performers were sometimes reluctant to do that. They thought it was very forward, right, to, for companies to do that. But this is more reactive. You can you can proactively find the people who've been verified, right? But the assumption is is that they, because they've been verified, um, they're more willing to give up their W two history, um, you know, to a hiring manager, and that eliminates some of the risk in hiring. Yeah, I could see on sort of a proactive basis, a seller would want to keep that record sort of updated, right? Because you never know when the opportunity is going to strike and might be approached about a new opportunity. And yeah, they can just say, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, yeah. And hence, hence the idea here is that this becomes a sort of an annual subscription. You update it. You, you decide, are those three, four years that I had in the report last year the right ones? As I said, we may enhance the info with quotas and deal sizes, right, just to give a little bit more context to the numbers. But you've also got to get the balance here of not asking for too much information up front for a very new service. Yeah, for a new service, right. But as I'm thinking down the road on this, it's like some of the variables that you've talked about um, really become important because you know, the thing with the income number, and the cuts different, you know, lots of different ways, is there's there's no context to it, right? I mean, my fear is, in the absence of starting to verify some of the other things, is you're going to get hiring managers that, there's not going to shock anybody, that sort of take the path of least resistance and say, oh, well, young as screen candidates purely based on this uh, one attribute uh, without really understanding anything about the circumstances that, was, that generated it. So we completely get that, and and we're not suggesting that they do that. They they have to look at the, uh, you know, not only the hard numbers of quotas, deal sizes, average and range, and how they get to their quotas, but you know also the soft factors, the story behind their their earnings as well, right? Um, you know, which uh, especially for up and comers and people with you know latent high potential is is potentially just as important. So. Yeah, we're not suggesting that this is the only metric, but it is the only verifiable metric. And, uh, and, well, and the absolute numbers do do paint a story. I mean, the very fact that a company um, has outlaid this amount of cash, right, on like you know for a given year for um, for an employee is indicative of um, that that employee's performance and their value to that firm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So mostly agree with that. Um, yeah. I, just back to my point, is, you know, the, we see things like, uh, you know, personality assessments or aptitude tests and so on that, yeah. you know, I've unfortunately, you know, run into managers that that's, you know, they look at that as like gospel, Right. As opposed to, well, well, they're looking for some type of objective um, or semi-objective sort of like uh, assessment of the candidate. So they're, in a way, grasping at straws. I, I, yeah. I somewhat agree with that in that you test how the candidate did on their assessment a year, you know, a year later, and you, you know, you see if if they, you know, hit the metrics that you know that that that, that indicate success, and you you tweak your testing so. Um, but yeah, most of the most of the interview methods are 
are, are subjective, right? The only real <laughs> yeah. other objective one is the back-channel reference, right? Um, I mean, formal references provided by candidates are oftentimes they're teed up. Sometimes they're not hiring managers, they're peers, right, that are um, set up to look like hiring managers, right? Um, so there's... I'm you know, sure you've seen a lot of that. There's not a lot of truth. Yeah, I, I mean, um, it, it, it definitely happens. There's no question about that. Well, so when I was thinking about you know the W two thing and and verifying income is is it always calls to mind you know, personal experience with uh, hiring people that and you see this in the valley all the time that uh, you know somebody joined a company at sort of the right moment as they're having their their big moment and made a ton of money but take them out of that environment you know they couldn't sell their way out of a paper bag. <laughs> but they've they've leveraged that into job after job after job, you know, sort of uh, Peter principle to some degree is that, and that's why this context. And I'm not, bless I'm not. I think having the verification of the income as a data point is great. But to your point earlier, is it's so lacking in context. Is we need to find ways to to verify some of these other points and attributes that you talked about. To me, anything that a candidate has on a resume or states in an interview <laughs> should be able to be verified, right? Is that the rep, the seller should provide you, uh, the candidate should provide you a means to verify that. So, uh, yeah, but obviously it's hard to do, right? Yes. So, one enhancement we could potentially, uh, you know, do down the road is combine the W-2 numbers with self-reporting on quota, deal size, right, quota achievement by the candidate as well. Again, when we're just starting out here, we're being careful not to ask for too much information from the candidate, right? Um, we can probably get there. But there is an idea that we could potentially get a former manager to sign off um, on the numbers that the candidate is providing as well as an extra layer of detail to sort of like cover the basis on what you talked about there. And to a certain extent, I mean, to, just to go back to your point about the, uh, um, you know, the high performer in a very sort of particular environment at the right time, that's why we're giving up to, you know, the candidate's ability to you know, select up to eight years. We want it to be recent. We want it to be across multiple firms, preferably across multiple managers, so that you can you can avoid that. So as much as we're not giving the context, like the, the full context there, uh -huh. you can read into the number of years that people have given, right? If it's one, okay, they had a rock star year and they haven't done, you know, the same again, but still... They are validating, you know, their performance and verifying that for one year, right? Um, and uh, you know, and, and obviously you can have the uh, the extremes where people have provided, you know, multiple years, recent years, multiple employers, right? Um, and just that information alone, you know, speaks volumes. Yeah, I just I I have the concern that in the hands of many sales managers that it's just. Yeah, used incorrectly, right? I mean, it's, it's it's something that is, you know, it's a it's a verified data point. You know, 
great. Yeah. But you know, I can see people trying to make decisions purely on the basis of that number. And to a point you had made earlier is, you know, not really going the extra mile to try to gauge the the potential of this individual if they thought they had underperformed in some dimension or that, you know, what this individual can really bring to the organization. It's just going to be, we got this quick screen and, yeah, you're not our person. And and you sort of end up in this, <laughs> in this situation, again, in the hands of, of managers taking the path of least resistance is that, yeah, there's only a relatively small percentage of sellers that are making quota and, and hitting their numbers. Um, yeah, not everybody can hire those people. It, it also protects about, it protects them from the downside. I mean, let's just focus on that for a second, right? You've got a very hot market right this second um, where the candidates, especially the more junior candidates, and I'm, I'm obviously exclusively working in um, with SaaS sellers right, mm-hmm. in certain tech ecosystems, but the junior candidates, when asked the question of what are your comp expectations, they are taking advantage of that in a way and asking for big jumps in comp, um, <laughs> sometimes sometimes up to sort of like 80, 90%. Um, so they'd be asking for a base salary up to 90, 80, 90% of their highest ever W-2 earnings, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. getting it. And what ends up happening is that the the hiring manager ends up with a rep who has done a good job in negotiating for themselves maybe has set themselves up somewhat for failure because they're now, um, you know, on a higher base number, higher quota expectations. They may not have ever achieved quota like that, and they may fail within six months, right? So this protects the hiring manager a little bit from that downside. And there's, in the market at the moment, there's a significant convergence going on where it used to be, you know, the value of salespeople used to sort of like differentiate between experienced and less experienced sellers, right? I mean, this is up to a couple of years ago. You know, you'd have sort of like a four-year seller maybe on 80K and up to a couple of years ago, the standard sort of enterprise um, base level was 125K in the venture back SaaS business, mm-hmm. right? So you'd have range. Now, if someone is at 80K base, 90K base, and they move roles, sometimes they're moving to 20, 30 grand jumps in base salary without justification. Um, So you've got this big convergence that's going on between junior sellers and senior sellers. Now, some of the junior sellers grow into the role, right? And they actually end up being rock stars and they they, you know, they, uh, they're wiser than their years and they earn, earn mm-hmm. more than you'd expect from them because they were smart negotiators. But many of them flounder. And I think uh, you've, you've, you've covered a lot of, you know, in your podcast, a, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of your commentators have sort of like have concerns about lots of people falling below quota. And that's part of what's driving it. It's not, you know, part of it is maybe higher um, higher quotas, unrealistic quotas, which is certainly true. Reverse engineered yep. quotas that, um, yep. for lack of better metrics, but some of it is about um, immature negotiators on the hiring manager side of things who don't drill down on the numbers enough to understand if this person is ready for that level of base and on-target earnings and that quota, and that's. 
you know, we we consistently see that. And sometimes we, you know, we try and warn people, be careful, be careful what you ask That's for. for. Exactly. Because you're going to put more of a target on your back. Yeah, I mean, I think we are going, and I've seen this cycle happen over the course of my career numerous times. And this is, this is, feels like another one where, yeah, where the demand for sales talent is such that, you know, people with little, you know, let's say underexperienced uh, people negotiate, effectively negotiating uh, bigger base pays and, you know, larger comp packages. They get themselves in a situation then where the hiring company says, well, you know, based on this, we're going to have to uh, you know, have a certain higher quota than they were accustomed to, even if it's you know, a parallel field that they were selling before. And you start yeah. seeing this happen as where you know, quotas go up to justify what they're paying the sellers. And they're both yeah. unrealistic. And what happens is for these sellers is they never stay any one place long enough to really learn what the hell they're doing. And they find themselves after a certain number of years, not only priced out of the market, <laughs> but not being very good at what they should be doing. And and if you have, you know, being a recruiter in this space, if you've got, you're forgiven for one short tenure, um, you might be given a bit of a pass for two. You have three in a row. It's really, really difficult to get another role. Mm-hmm. Certainly through a recruiter. Right, and what they've done is created their expectations that, hey, they're, yeah, I'm worth X amount, and they never really had to prove that they were worth it because there are companies willing to yeah. pay. It. I mean, it was, it was it, yeah, it works on both sides. And an interesting dynamic that's going on in the market at the moment as well is that, you know, as a re- recruiter, we represent the hiring managers, and we obviously have a base range and an OT range that we play with, right? Um, but so we make sure that the candidate is in the zone for that, um, so that everyone's expectations are set when it comes time for an offer, right? But these days we're being asked about OTE, like base and OTE ranges, before even uh, candidates will even talk to us. So <laughs> qualifying um, you, yes. And before we have a chance to explain to them that they may not be worth what they are asserting. And I'm not saying that in a sort of like an obnoxious way. I'm trying to sort of like provide them guidance mm-hmm. to make sure that they don't get in a situation where they have multiple short stints because they um, they set the expectations around themselves too high. It's Yeah, it's death to a career when that happens. I mean, I've, I've seen people that I know that have jumped on that route and I'm seeing it happened today uh, in various companies I'm familiar with where, yeah, when it's a sort of a quote-unquote seller's market as it is today, as you said, is, yeah. is they can sort of command it, but they don't, yeah, face it. I mean, these are younger people that don't have a lot of experience in their careers, and it's hard to counsel them to slow down. Exactly. And sometimes we never get the opportunity because uh, they won't talk to us until... Um, until the, you know the ranges are asserted, and sometimes they're put off because they think they can uh, they can command more. Yeah, no, this feels <laughs> feels feels like a couple of cycles have been through before on that, and it yeah it sort of shakes out for a while, but then it comes back. Um, so, I mean, what's your best advice right now for let's say a seller, yeah, you know, sort of 
two, three years in, that's let's you know, not SDR roles, but you know, account executive type roles and SaaS companies. Um we're sort of thinking, well, gosh, maybe now's it's hot out there. There's a lot of froth. Maybe now's the time to go check out a new opportunity. So, I mean, as a like, not to sound self-serving, but uh, go ahead. You know, <laughs> given, given my day, given my day job as as a recruiter, yeah, by all means, test the market. I mean, firstly, check yourself. Make sure that you look, you know, that you've you've got enough tenure that you've maximized what you can do in the role. You know, just consistent with what we're saying here, it's not about the absolute numbers of where you, you know, what you achieve from a W-2 perspective. It's about the, uh, you know, the ratio and the percentage, per, uh, uh, you know, overachievement of OTE based mm-hmm. on a W-2 base, right? So if you haven't proven yourself and your ability to hit quota um, and, you know, get your metrics online. So I don't care if you're sort of, if you've got a 450K W2 or you've got a 160K W2. If you're on a 60K base, 120K on target earnings and you've hit 160K, you're a rock star, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so just achieve achieve that first, achieve the performance first um, before you move around. Grass isn't always greener. That's the opposite of, of, of self-serving. But if you have achieved that, um, and you want to look around. I mean, it's important to, you know, look at the space that you're in, give yourself extra range as a candidate, you know, expand your verticals, expand your functional orientation, expand your industry orientation, yet still keep t- some type of thread to what you're currently doing. So there's logic in, in you applying to a new role. But by all means, uh, like, um, you know, explore the market, but ask a, rec- ask a recruiter for their advice. You know, there's also various... You can be at various crossroads. You might be an SDR um, or an inside seller. Do you go into inside sales management or do you try and go to outside sales before you go into management? Mm-hmm. Um, some of those decisions you make can have a massive impact upon your your long-term earnings ability. So think long and hard before you sort of like, you know, you, you take the management route too soon. Um, so those would be some of the things but, uh, that I would think about. Just like try and um, lock down performance in your current role first. That'll stand to you. Uh, as I said, hiring managers are more concerned that you overachieved than they are about the absolute numbers. And they're also more concerned about protecting their downside as well. Mm-hmm. They want to, you know, um, realistically, you know, they want people who are going to be in the they don't want. They don't necessarily need people who are going to hit four hundred percent of quota. You know, the lion's share of their number is going to be made by people between seventy-five and one hundred and twenty-five percent of their number. Right. No, they need a lot of a lot of just good good sellers. They don't. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, sort of cynical about this whole idea that, and it's an obsession in this business about top performers, top producers, and it's like. At least in my mind, in my experience over the decades, is there's really very few of them. <laughs> and what you really want is you want people who are good at what they do. Absolutely, and you want people who can, you know, who can who, who can grind it out, who have a really good process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's it is it is a rarity. I mean, we we see it, you know, firsthand, right? I mean, yes, we've seen in the eleven years of doing this, we've seen a handful of people who've made a million dollars in a year. Um, a million dollars plus, mm-hmm. um, but most top performers, top W two performers in the SaaS space, um, are making somewhere between three hundred and 
450, maybe 500 at a stretch. Mm-hmm. But most of the of the journey men and women, like who are solid performers, are making between 200 and 275 a year. That's the reality from a W2 perspective. So we right. want to embrace those people as well. And it's also it's it's also um, the potential of candidates as well. I mean, some of our greatest placements have been um, just that you know that um, diamond in the rough, right? That um, you just sense when you were talking to them, you know, or doing a Zoom with them, that this is a, a rock star to be. Mm-hmm. And they've just gone on to great things. But it's like catching them at that early stage when they haven't necessarily got the metrics yet, but they have the potential to. So again, back to sort of point, this is, this is one data point, but there's a whole other set of, um, set of subjective ones that you have to analyze as well. And I just want to dig into that for a second too, because we're sort of circling back on, on a point we made earlier is when I'm interviewing someone, I'm, I'm really interested in what they've done, right? Not, the, the numbers great, but yeah, you know, I want to talk about deals they closed. I want to talk about customers they worked with. I want to talk about scenarios, some of which could be verified, right? I mean, you know, they say, "Hey, it's on the resume. I sold to these four companies." I want to know that they actually sold to those four companies. So, what's what's the path forward if you can project forward? You know, you've you've taken this one step with income verification. Is what's yep. the path forward to verifying items like I just talked about? Yeah, I I have on my <laughs> resume. You know, somebody comes to me and said on their resume they've got these four major enterprises they sold to, and then we dig down. I said, yeah, these were the deal sizes. Yeah, again, I believe that anything anybody tells me is fair game to be verified in an interview, or anything they tell me in an interview is fair game to be verified. Get my English correct here. Is so. What's the path forward to make that happen? Well, I've made one suggestion, right, in terms of an enhancement, which was getting extra details from the candidate around their on target, their their quota, their performance against quota, and having a manager sign off on it, right? Um, that is contactable. That that uh, you know is verifiable as being in the right place at the right time as that person's manager at that organization. There's no reason why you couldn't do the sign-off process for the deals as well, right? Where its customers are attesting to the fact that yes, this was the lead, the lead salesperson on um, on this particular deal, and have the customers so, themselves do it. That's, so you've just you, you've just come up with a, a, an extra leg and tail we can add on to this, Andy. Okay, so, uh, I'll, we'll I'll have, expect we'll my commission. Uh, we exactly. We'll call it the Andy or something at the end of the well, <laughs> we created. Yeah, uh, but you know, it's uh, that's doable, I suppose, right? Yeah. What? So my <laughs> one of my things in life is that is that and it, that's and this is a trend I think has sort of become exacerbated these days. Is that we have the access to information and data and so on, and we look at it and we say, okay, well, I've got this information. But we don't really understand what it means, right? So we have this gap between knowing something and understanding it. And I think mm-hmm. the same thing you know, applies with, with hiring somebody, right? As, as I, may, I know what their income is, but I really understand what makes that up, right? I'm doing it in a way that, that's relevant for me to make my decision. And this is, yeah, buyers 
are dealing with this all the time. And so I think that that's, yeah, some of these other aspects for me become really important is because, yeah, I think, again, I think if somebody claims something, they should be able to verify it and back it up. And so what you're doing is like, like in that direction is, is yeah, is, yeah, people have to have to help you be able to understand as a hiring manager. Help me understand this. Well, it, it, yeah, exactly. It, it is. It, it's the first step. We could add those extra components to it, um, but it doesn't replace, uh, you know, the burden on the on the hiring manager to get the full context um, around, you know, around the numbers. And you know, the same applies to the candidates. I mean, like you know, if you look at like the wide variety of resumes that we get, there's a basic mm. lack of understanding on how to present numbers from sellers as well. Um, you know, the, the best resumes we see are the ones that show grids, right, of like of performance, like where they've actually produced the extra information that I've talked about mm-hmm. here, right, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the explicit details on, on quota, average deal size, deal size range, right, um, quota performance, key deals closed, right. and the makeup how they got to their number. Um, so few candidates present that. You know, the you know, resumes, uh, I mean, and LinkedIn profiles, right, are, you know, there's obviously massive, um, massive ranges in quality, right? But we, <laughs> we see very few candidates who are able to, who are properly able to present those, uh, those numbers. Yeah, massive, massive ranges in accuracy. That that too, but even you know, just like high level numbers. I mean, it might sometimes it might be five years ago. It's hard to remember the exact ones, right? But um, just a, a basic understanding that this is what someone, you know, this will aid people in making a decision around their candidacy. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a distinct lack of awareness there. But you brought something up that I think is is really critical, though, which is is, and I counsel young sellers in this frequently, which is track everything, right? When you finish a year, look back or don't even wait, do it when you're going during the year, but start your own database of how you did, what you did from day one, right? Build this build this yeah. book of information about yourself throughout your career because that's going to the point you just made about the best CVs and resumes that people see have this level of detail in it is yep. just think about it. you're going to have to be completely transparent because eventually all this information will be able to be verified. And But lead with it. Be proactive with it. Put that out there on your resume. Don't feel like you have anything to hide. You are who you are. And, and you know, somebody may hire you and you may think you're fooling them, but the truth always comes out. I mean, it's been my experience in sales is, is in hiring people, and Lord knows no one's ever perfect in people they've hired, but yeah, I've hired people I thought were fantastic, did extreme, what I thought was extreme amount of due diligence on them, just didn't work out for yeah, yeah one of a number of reasons, but probably could have surfaced some of that if I'd had the ability to verify even more things. Um on the resume and so on. Yeah, I, I mean that's 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 it's that's that's really smart. Uh, we come across candidates that do that. That 
you know, um, take snapshots of their commission statements. Um, and that just adds to the level of confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Of, uh, exactly. In, in, in the case of us as recruiters and us representing them, sometimes we've included them as exhibits, but that is rare. It is very, very rare. Right. So, I mean, you think about it, and I think that unfortunately too many times candidates don't think about it this way, which is, and I know hiring managers always fear like they're being sold by a candidate, but they should be sold by the candidate. Candidates should be able to present a compelling vision of what success is going to look like when they hire this person into their company. Yep. And that should be based, and this, to your point about the confidence, the confidence that that should, could be able to happen or could happen should come from this, this data that you're providing the hiring manager about your own career. So, yeah, I, you really have, if you're looking for a job, you have to have a different perspective these days, which is transparency is really the way you build confidence. Uh, I completely, completely agree with that. And and confidence breeds confidence, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think I wrote a blog post on that, which was the, it was based on Conor McGregor, right? I mean, just the fact that he is so brash intimidates right. his opponents. Maybe less so in recent years, but um, <laughs> you know, a couple of years back. Um, but it's really, it's, it's, it's the case. And, and sometimes that's the, um, um, you know, even in, on a phone call with a candidate, right? Forget, you know, obviously we're talking about objective measures here. Um, but there is an it factor that comes from talking to certain candidates where you're just like, they, you know, they just grab you, right? Because of their their confidence in their abilities, right? That you sense that they are a bit of a force of nature, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to represent them and you want to push them, right? Um, into your candidates because you are just sold, right? Um, so, uh, I mean, that's very much a, a subjective thing, but often, but most of the time I get that sense, which is, which is rare, um, they have the numbers to back it up. Well, that's interesting. What you're saying is they're, on the surface, they seem great, but the detail yeah. is lacking. No, no, I'm not, I, I think like the, the people who have that that it factor um, are not only great on the surface, but they actually have the true performance behind okay, them as well. But I'm just saying it's something, something it's something that you uh, that that you sense, and it's just back to the sort of confidence breeds confidence. What's interesting, um, you know, as a European in the states. Um, we represent a bunch of European firms that are looking to expand over here in the States. Mm-hmm. And they um, they have to adjust. So I'm talking about, you know, the relative confidence of American candidates, American sales candidates. But Europeans <laughs> who come over here to hire, they have to adjust to this the fact that this is a whole other level of confidence that, uh, you know, uh, versus, versus the people they hire in their local markets. And so it's more like, you know, Hold on a second, right? Just because this person says they're great doesn't necessarily mean they're great. <laughs> so there's a whole uh, learning experience that you have to go through with uh, with European firms. Of course, yeah, I'm a big soccer fan, and and when European coaches talk about why they like American players on their team, it's it's that quality exactly is the uh, yeah. sort of brashness and confidence. Uh, of course, you have to be able to back it up on the field, but as you do in exactly. sales. Yeah. Have you checked out Ted Lasso yet? Oh yeah, yeah. And actually, in preparation, <laughs> yeah, 
geeking out on it a second time. My wife and I just went through it uh, over the last week and a half. The first season again, just in preparation for the second season coming, just to refresh ourselves. So yeah, but that's that's a perfect example of, of uh, yeah, sort of the American attitude. And I don't know about you, but I, I, you know, we're off track a bit, but what the heck, we're almost at the end here, is, is that show is so human. It has so many lessons for sales. I mean, I've, I've written several quotes down that they've quoted in the, the show that, that I thought, yeah, yeah this, this speaks to the power of, of character and values, which, you know, how do we verify those? That's an interesting point, but it's they are so important in what we do. And they're sort of given short shrift um, in the world these days. And I've, I'm a yep. huge believer that those who succeed most consistently are good at what they do, start from that place of, of being a good human. Yeah, I, I've heard you consistently say that in your podcast, but um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think culture and teamwork, that's a great, you know, that, that show in itself is, is a great lesson in, in that. And yeah, I watched it in February in the, you know, the darkest days of like, you know, depressing right. Manhattan where none of the restaurants were open. And, um, and it was really, really uplifting. Um, yes, and a, a real reminder of the power of, of teamwork, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how powerful we are when we work together and, you know, and, um, you know, obviously in sales, there's, there's a selfish component and, you know, it's, you know, we, obviously we started this out talking about, uh, about performance, but to your point about, you know, good humans, I mean, um, you know, it's, uh, there's also been great people through, throughout my career who just wanted to help their teammates along as yes. well. Right. So to tie it back to 10. <laughs> well, but I think it's, it is, uh, well, definitely have to get back. We'll talk about this in more depth in terms of hiring and so on, because you know, you've got such a wealth of knowledge about it. But as a hiring manager, you have to. Yes, sales is, is an individual sport to some degree, but it's also very much a team sport. And yeah, you know, are you are you when you hire people, are you hiring a seller? You're hiring somebody to be part of a team. And it's something I'd love to dig into with you at a, another time because I think it's that's a perspective that's just not looked at enough. Right? It's, yeah, everybody may have their own accounts, but to your point, you've, there are people that helped you at various points in your career. You do have those type of people who are generous on your team, right? That are, that are givers in a way that's, that's productive and are willing to help other people. Or yeah. is everybody on your team a taker? And a taker, and, and sometimes the highest performers are the ones who create the biggest whirlwinds around them um, and, uh, you know, create massive noise and uh in, in the organization and and commandeer a lot of resources to themselves so there's a you know, there's a downside to really sometimes really high performers as well right oh yeah um because you know they uh they become the center of you know their own world and um and don't focus on the teamwork <laughs> aspect so yeah like anything like there's you know there's a balance right i mean here it's not just about um, you know, sometimes with really, really high performers, be careful what you ask for, right? Yeah. Which is why I do want to emphasize this is also this is about finding the journey people as well that you know, that are between that eighty and one hundred and you know one hundred and twenty percent of quota um, or W two, right? Right. And, um, well, in my mind, those and, are, those are the ones you want to invest in, right? I mean, exactly. Those are the ones exactly. that that you build a team on because. Yeah, I can invest a lot of money, and, and unfortunately, 
in too many sales organizations, the the top performers, to your point, command the resources. They command the attention of managers as well, uh, unduly. Yep. And yeah, it hurts the rest of the team. People could really benefit from you know, coaching that doesn't take place, as we've seen all surveys recently. Uh, you know, yeah. Any sort of direction, personal development guidance and the like. No doubt. All right. Well, Fergal, it's been fantastic. Well, I said, we'll definitely have you back. I love talking about hiring and and look at maybe more from the, the hiring manager side in terms of also the processes people are using for, for hiring because one of my uh, ideas I'm passionate about that I don't see enough is really sort of data-driven hiring and decisions, and there's a lot of room that for improvement there. So if people want to learn more about verified performers, how can they do that? So verifiedperformers.com is, uh, is where you'll find us. Um, and you can also find us on, on LinkedIn. Um, and it'll be, we're in beta right now and it'll be fully live by the time this, this podcast goes live. So, um, you know, come along, sign up, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, there are, there are some processes and some steps you have to go through to, uh, to get verified. So reach out if you need to get more comfortable with, um, with, uh, with the process, but, um, yeah, any questions, send them my way on, uh, on LinkedIn. Or right. verified performers. And I think for you know, a final closing point that you made is it's not just for top performers. I think that if you're as as you said, sort of in the the seventy five to one hundred twenty five percent range, you're a good solid performer, which is yeah, you know, fantastic. Those are the people I love. Yeah. Is don't worry about the fact you're not measuring up to others. This this act of transparency is going to be hugely powerful when you interact with hiring managers. So I really urge you to consider checking it out. Yeah, no, no, no question about that. And um and remember hiring managers you've got to look at it from their perspective. They are trying to protect their downside. Um and when they combine that together with all the other subjective factors um from meeting you and going through the interview process, um, you know, that's uh you know, that's how they're making their decision. Yeah. It's not on this it's not on this one number. Perfect. All right, Fergal, thank you very much. No worries. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate you having me on. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Fergal Kenny, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.